0: Welcome to the LifeHouse Church Podcast. LifeHouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. You ready to dive into God's word word today? Can we just pause and give it up for our incredible worship team? Real quick, Can we just give it up for them? So appreciate them week in and week out. You know, the worship and production team, while y'all are probably sleeping or grabbing your coffee or getting your breakfast or something like that, they are here at 6.30 a.m. every single Sunday getting everything set up. So I just wanted to pause one more time and thank them for their dedication, love, and service to our church. Worship to us is like like Clarissa said, it's more than just about singing songs. It's about us having a time set aside to get the eyes off ourselves and onto him, Okay. And uh, so, once again, thank you, worship team. We love you. But, hey, we are finishing up our series, kind of a series within a series called Jesus And, and we've been in the past five weeks, we've been talking about Jesus and Scripture. Today going to be the final week, part six, Jesus and Scripture, part six. Before I do that, though, I just want to remind you, like, like the top three said one more time, Church at the Park. Anyone excited for some Church at the Park? July 2nd. Uh, we're going to be at Newport News Park. That's a Sunday. We're going to be over there. So if you come here, July 2nd, is, hopefully it's for a movie. So well, what, July 2nd, we're going to be out there, 10 o'clock worship service, and then we're going to have some food and fellowship and fun out there at the park. So we, would love, so we would love for you to come and hang out with us. But this series, the whole point of Jesus and series is to help us see Jesus as our example because many times we like to see Jesus as Lord, right? It's like he's, you know, he is God and King, Lord, creator. He is big. He is transcendent. He is beyond us. We love to see Jesus as savior. Right? He's the one that saves us from hell. He's the one that lived a life we couldn't live, died the death we should have died, in our place and for our, for, for our sin, but that rose and defeated Satan's sin and death. He is our Savior. He saves us. We put our faith and trust in him, and he gives us his good work. We give him our bad works, so when God the Father sees us, he doesn't see what we've done. He sees what Jesus did. That, that is what the gospel, the good news is, is that Jesus is our Savior. But what I think many times, the church especially, come on, somebody, the church can miss the fact that Jesus is our example. How many of y'all know it's true many times that that the church doesn't look a lot like Jesus? A lot of the time. Like, it's crazy to look at the light, to read about the life of Jesus, and then to look at his church, which is called to be the body of Christ, and you're like, how did this happen? How did we get here? What game of telephone was played? Dude, that's how I know I'm really, really old. How many of you guys remember that game, telephone? Like, you've got a train of people, and you start off with, I'm going to eat at Burger King, and five or six people down the line whispering it, it becomes, your mother got murdered at cookout with a steak knife. And it's like, how did we get from there to here? But this is what has almost happened when you look at the life of Jesus and when you look at many of Jesus' followers. And so it's so important for us to look at and take time and study Jesus' example about how we lived, and one of the examples we've been looking at, like I said, the past five weeks, and we're going to con- conclude today, is Jesus in Scripture. Because I don't know if you know this, but many, G- but many Jesus followers don't really read the Bible, which is which which is totally against the way and the life that Jesus lived. And we've been looking at the example that Jesus said. So I want to give you some thoughts. I want to give you. I want to catch you up. If this is your first time here, welcome. I want to catch you up from the first five weeks really quick. If you are part of our church, if you have been here, I want to give you a little review of what we have, and then I'm going to tell you where we are going uh, today. All right, so the first thought is this. Jesus learned, submitted to, quoted, taught the Scripture. Therefore, Jesus' followers are called to do the same. We're called to learn, submit to, obey, quote, and share the truth. Of scripture. Andrew Wilson had this incredible quote. He said, Our trust in the Bible as Christians stems from our trust in Jesus Christ. I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. I trust in the Bible because I trust in Jesus. I love him and I've decided to follow him. So if he talks and acts as if the Bible is trustworthy, authoritative, good, helpful, and powerful, then I will too, even if some of my questions remain unanswered or my answers remain unpopular. So we've been diving in each week. The first week we talked about how the Bible is not just information, it's revelation. It's God literally saying, here I am, all right? The second week, though, in order to rightly get this, this, divine, this, divine, revel- this divine revelation, we have to rightly interpret the Bible. It's, it's vital that we become aware of our ingrained and cultivated thoughts, feelings, ideas, and subjective truths. Then we dove into how we have to major on the majors and minor on the minors, Fourth week, we talked about how a wrong view of the Bible begins with a wrong view of who God is. God is holy, therefore his word is holy. Last week, we talked about in God's word, we find God's will. So many people are like, what is the will of God? And they have a closed Bible. <laughs> and it's like, if you just open the Bible and, and read it and interpret it and discern it. You can find out what your will is. But today, I want to start off with this thought. The condition of our hearts determines the depth, impact, and longevity of God's word within us. We'll say that one more time. The condition of our hearts determines the depth, impact, and longevity of God's word in us. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible wasn't just meant to be cognitively known. The Bible was not just meant to be a book that we know in our minds. Like one of the things that I try to teach my children, right? I've got three boys who we call them the wear hurricane, where is my last name? And they are a hurricane. Literally, they, wherever they go, there is destruction. There's, whether it's the, you know, wh- whether it's the living room or the kitchen or outside, it's like wherever they go, there's just destruction. And in that destruction, there's a lot of emotion, right? Like, what I say is my house is a combination of WWE, <laughs> MMA, and a Lifetime movie. Like, all in one. Literally mixed to be a cake, Okay? But what I try to tell my boys when they are acting emotional, I mean, it's just like pure instinct, pure unbridled passion, is I say, y'all, you have to make sure whenever you feel something inside of you, it's going to come up into your brain, and the back part of your brain is the emotional part of your brain. So you have to give it time to go from the emotional and let it simmer to get to the frontal, which is called the rational part of your brain, but and that's why they say most guys develop later because the frontal lobe of most guys doesn't develop as fast as the back part, so that's why most guys do stupid things. they jump off, they do things that will kill them, they jump off roofs like some of y'all are laughing, but you know it's true is is, is, the, is it you know the the whole maturity thing hasn't been fully developed. It's still at a surface level. And I think if we take it a different way where we say with God's word, it's sort of the same way where many of us, we can have a cognitive knowing, we can know a scripture here, a scripture there, but it's just not meant to be verbalized. It's just not meant to be known. It's meant at its core to be deeply internalized to to actually be something that is in you the point of the bible isn't just to get it in our minds but it's to get it in our minds into our hearts because here's the here's the thing god isn't just concerned about the what god's concerned about the why and it's just so normal in our culture for there to be a surface level of awareness of knowing but also operating and actually obeying god's word and i really believe it's because we keep it at such a surface level and like i said in the past this isn't because the bible isn't available y'all how many bibles y'all y'all got home how many bibles do we have on our phone right now a lot right like we've got a lot of availability to us with with god's word But this word isn't meant. It's meant to take root. It is meant to get inside of you and literally be the very thing that grounds you, sustains you, and just as we sang, the firm foundation, the 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 rock on which we stand, that we get our truth from, that we know what is right and wrong, we know where we came from, and we know where we're going. Because I don't know about you, if you've known this, if you've experienced this, if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, have you always felt like doing what Jesus wanted you to do? Y'all are quiet today. (laughs) Have, have, Have you always felt like doing it? Have you always had this, I can't wait to die to myself. I can't wait to die to my impatience. I can't wait to die to my lust. I can't wait to die to my anger. We have to, to like realize that one of the reasons why the word has got to get in us, the word's got to get in us because we won't always feel like it. And when it is at a surface level, the word of God will always become secondary unless it's rooted. Because you will always act out of what your root is. And, and, and so one of the huge reasons why we even see in Jesus' life that Jesus had to have the word rooted inside of him. Seriously, and I said this last week, Jesus didn't do what Jesus did simply because he was Jesus. Jesus did what Jesus did because Jesus trained to be a certain way and was empowered and filled with the same Holy Spirit we have access to. What does that do? It makes Jesus' life actually possible for us. Some of y'all look at Jesus as some superhero. I'll never have that superhero ability. When it's like the reason why Jesus came to be our example is to show us what can be. is to show us the example. But one of the things we see in Jesus, and this might sound sacrilegious to some of you here, Jesus did not always feel like following his father's will. Did you know that? Well, he was Jesus. Of course he did. He was just, you know, skipping to his father's will. Can't wait to go to the cross. I can't wait to get murdered. I can't wait to have nails in my hands. I can't wait to have nails in my feet. I can't wait to have a crown of thorns. I can't wait to be, be, to be betrayed by my best friend. I just can't wait. Now, if you remember the actual story, when Jesus knew was coming up on his passion week, he was coming up on the hardest week, his, his whole life was culminating up to this moment where he was going to have to be in the garden of Gethsemane and know what was coming to him because he had read his word, he had read the prophecies about himself, he knew what was coming, he knew he was going to die, and he knew whose hands he was going to be, that that was going to actually happen. He, he knew the way and... He was in the garden of Gethsemane. Do you know what the word Gethsemane means? It means oil press. You know what that is? Like crushing. What the actual Jews would do, they actually had this big oil press where they would put the olives into this like fountain looking thing. But then they would have this huge kind of like stone ball on a a kind of like stick thing that that you would put the olives in the oil press and you would just basically walk the rock around as it crushed all the olives so you could get the oil. Crazy that the place where Jesus legitimately, his will had to be crushed so he could do his father's will was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because that's what it was symbolic for. It was like crushing. But but actually, let's, let's go ahead and... and Read this here, Matthew 25. It says, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here. He's talking to his disciples, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is what? Crushed with what? Grief. But he's Jesus. Yeah, fully human. How many times have you felt like that? You're crushed with grief. And some of you have even condemned yourself because you felt that way. But I just want to let you know you have a savior that knows what it's like. Crushed with grief to the point of death, he said, stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Then he says, probably one of the most important sentences in the whole Bible when it comes to the example of Jesus. Ready? Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Y'all, y'all gonna have to learn that phrase. Y'all, y'all gonna have to learn that phrase because there's gonna be so many Gethsemanes that you are going to, some of you are walking through through a Gethsemane at work right now where you're like, not my will, but your will be done. Some of you are walking through a Gethsemane in your family right now. And you're like, Lord, if you can take it, take it. But not my will, God, your be done. You're just gonna have so many Gethsemanes in life that, that you're gonna have to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. But this is what I'm saying. Jesus, had he was grounded to a point where the word, his father's will, and his father's word was so deeply rooted inside of him that even when he did not feel like doing his father's will, he submitted to his father's will. And I think one of the reasons why we, we have struggled submitting and following the father's will is because we have a surface level of his word. A surface level where it's secondary, it is peripheral. And so Jesus actually told a parable about this, about God's word becoming rooted. And I'm going to read it because, honestly, sometimes the most important words I could say during a sermon time like this isn't what I speak. It's what the scripture already says. So that's what I want to do today. Like, I'm, I'm going to read to you this parable that Jesus, goes, that Jesus spoke. It's called the parable of the sower. It's in all four gospels. And I just, as we read it, I just think it's such a good cultural analysis of the United States right now. So I just want you to hear it, listen to it, and I'm just gonna trust and pray that the Holy Spirit is gonna speak to you. As you read this parable, that you're gonna find yourself in it and that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. Can we, can we pull up Luke, Luke chapter eight, verse number four, starting here? It says, while a large crowd was gathering around and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. He said, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. And Jesus, right, because some of his disciples were like, yo, Jesus, that's a good farming technique. Appreciate that good farming lesson. Appreciate the, the, the farming technique there. So they asked Jesus, what, is, what, is, what does this mean? And, and Jesus would do that a lot. He would tell parables to take, and what I love about Jesus is he was culturally relevant. So Jesus didn't say, hey, there's a computer, right? Like, he, you, know, he, you know, he used what, what the people knew, right? And that's what I love about Jesus is he will speak your language. He will speak your language, right? So here's the thing. So then Jesus explains it. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the what? Word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then they turn on Netflix and binge watch. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no what? Root. They believe for a little while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Sorry, that's that's kind of weird. Okay. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are what? Choked by life's and here's three important things here. Ready? Worries, riches, and pleasures. A.K.A. the United States of America. The land of worrying, pleasures, and riches. Choked, it says the word was choked. But the seed, oh excuse me, riches and pleasures, and then they do not what? Mature. There's what I think we could say that many Christians in the church find themselves at is because they're not at a place of maturity. This is it, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. I would love to just take some time and just let that simmer and do what the Bible says Selah. Selah means to pause and meditate. You'll see that in the book of Psalms so many times. Where you know the book of Psalms is literally just a book of songs. And there were actually times where when they were writing the song, at the very end of the song, or in the middle of the song, it just said Selah. And that word Selah literally means to pause and meditate and think about. Like just take a pause. Like stop the instrument, stop what you're doing, and just sit with it. And that's what I, I would love to do right now. That we're gonna do a little bit later on sitting with these words that Jesus is saying, because if there's anything, because it's 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 revealing us. And really, here is, here is the point that I get from what Jesus is saying: the condition of the soil, the heart, determines the effectiveness of the seed, which is God's word. The, The condition of the soil for the seed to take root and for the seed to grow and for the seed to germinate and for the seed to do what the seed was created to do, it's gotta actually be in a soil of receptivity. It's gotta be in a soft, moist place where it can go down, grow roots, and actually dig a root. It's amazing. We can just see this in in Jesus' life. And mainly we can see how deep, the root of the word of God is by when it comes to points just like in Jesus' life where he's at a Gethsemane. Where then it comes to like, am I going to obey what God says or am I going to do not thy will be done, it's going to be my will be done. How many of you have, you've ever heard of Rick Warren? Rick Warren wrote like literally the, the, like the second best-selling book of all time, The Purpose Driven Life. Like literally, like besides the Bible, it's one of the best-selling books of all time. When 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 you look at Rick Warren, you're like, there's no, I mean, and you hear him preach, you're preacher, like, this guy's not a great preacher, you know. You would look at him, you are like, oh, you know, he's, he's not that. But this, this dude, like, wrote the second best book of all time. His church is 27,000 people playing churches all around. He's fighting human trafficking aids. Like, this dude's, like, changing the world. And this dude, there's anyone that, that I was like, man, God's, you know, he's God's favorite. He's going to be the one that, you know, he's going to fly into heaven. He's going to disappear. He's going to be like a, just go up there, disappear, be with God. He's a fourth member of the Trinity. I, that's just a joke. Don't send me emails. I'm just kidding. But it's, like, kind of one of, one of those people. His son, 27 years old, kills himself. Yeah, 27 years old. Battled mental health his whole life. And his wife obviously was, and I mean, this put them into a season of immense, I mean, I don't care how saved you are, Christian you are, when you encounter something like that, it's a moment. It's a moment, and they are very vulnerable about that, and I would encourage you to go and check their journey out of what God brought them through. They're, they're actually right, right now on the forefront of fighting for mental health in the church. They just don't see it as, you know, some side-off thing that psychologists in the counseling world needs. They see it as a major part of being a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your heart and your mind. So important as a follower of Jesus to develop mental health. So one of the things that, that his wife Kay Warren said that I thought was so powerful that I just wanted to share with you really, really quick. She said, This someone recently asked how I survived my son's suicide. I told him, I've set my spiritual roots deep into the character of God for more than 50 years. Circumstances tried to brutally rip out the tree of my faith, but the roots. the roots held. Even the song we sang, Firm Foundation, the rock on which I stand, when everything around me is shaking, I've never been more glad. Yeah, I put my faith... I'm, just, I'm not going to sing. <laughs> Jesus, never let me down. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to sing for y'all, and, and half the church is going to leave. But... but but y'all, it's 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 this that we learn the character of God and we get rooted not in our circumstances, but the character of God. Because the reason why some of us are all over the place and we don't have a deep root is because we base who God is on our circumstances instead of his character. This is a revelation of who he is, his character. And y'all, we have to be rooted. And so I just, you know, I just really thought, because there's a lot of different ways that I could take this parable, honestly. Like I could hundred different ways you'd see any preacher, but here is where I want to, I want to, I just don't want to take the parable, analyze it, and stuff. I just, how do you keep a soft heart, y'all? How do you keep your soil receptive? How do you keep it receptive? In this culture that's trying to harden you, circumstances are trying to harden you, your past is trying to harden your heart, and y'all know this, it's like crazy, the the older we get, the more hardened we become, the more cynical we can be, the more jaded we can be. How do we keep a soft heart so the word can grow deep? That's what I want to get into t- today. That, that's what I want to share with you today. Three, of course, three thoughts. And for those of you who are new here, it's funny because I never have four Never have two points. Always got that three. That trusty old three. No, but I'm I'm being serious. I really just, how, how do we keep a soft heart? To where the word isn't just on the surface and it can get choked out. It's not just on the surface where it can be blown away. It's not just on the surface where the devil can come and take it, but how do we keep our heart penetratable so when the seed is there, when we hear God's word, whether it's in a sermon or whether we read it throughout the week or whether but we're receptive to it. I wanna give you three, how how we keep a soft heart. Ready, number one. And we talk a a lot about this word here, repentance. Now, I know if you're new to church or if you're new here or if you haven't been at LifeHouse very, very long, you might hear that word and you think of a sign that says repent on a white billboard that's being shown at a, some person, or being on a street corner with some saying repent or turn or burn, Right? That word repent is one of the first words Jesus said in his public ministry. He said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And that word repent doesn't just mean feel sorry for. In the Greek, the word actually means to rethink, means to turn, means to shift. It means you're going one way and you turn and you go the other way. It actually means to repent. And I don't know about you, but we've seen the consequences of Individuals and the, and churches not repenting. Do you remember when the church got to a point where it was selling sins? What in God's holy name is that? Y'all like really? Yes, there was a point in church's history where they were selling sins. They were called indulgences. Yo, you're gonna get drunk tonight. That's 250 bucks, bro. You can put it in. That's givethelifehouse.com. Just use the fun drunk. You know. <laughs> Just. That's how crazy. Oh, you want to go and have an you want to go and have an adulterous affair? Yeah, just go in and give to lifehouse.com, just choose the adultery fund. You know, like what? You know why that happens is because the church, individually and corporately, doesn't take time to think about and repent. And turn. And you see, repentance is hard because repentance requires humility. Repentance is hard because it's saying, I'm wrong, God, you're right. Repentance is hard because it takes time for you to actually dig into who you are and say, maybe with the way I talk, maybe the things I say, maybe the things I think about, maybe the actions I do, maybe they really aren't what God's best are. And it got to a point where Martin Luther, if you remember the Reformation, where the church got to a point of being so insanely selling sins, like it was just, it was absolutely crazy. Martin Luther penned the Uh, How many theses was it? 95. The 95 thesis of saying this is where the church has gone wrong, the first thing he wrote on the 95 thesis was this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers as one of repentance. Basically saying repentance is not just a one-time decision. Repentance is a lifelong discipline. Yes, you repent and turn to follow Jesus, but I don't know about you. As you're following him, there's many moments where you're turning. And if you don't have a discipline of, even as David prayed, if there's any unclean thing within me, Lord, tell me. I'm open. I'm not coming to you to judge you. I'm laying myself before you for you to judge me. If there's anything inside of my heart that is not pleasing to you, Lord, I repent and I turn and I follow Repentance softens your heart to the voice and word of God. Here's the thing, nothing hardens your heart like continued willful disobedience. Nothing will harden your heart to God and his word and his book like continued willful disobedience. And some of it is just like you just don't know. But some of it is most disobediences you do know. Let's just be honest. There's this one guy at the, at the gym. I love him to death. Love talking at the gym. You know there's gym ways of doing things, right? Some, sometimes I go to the gym and I'm like, I don't want to talk to no one. Got my headphones in. I got, I got my pre-workout rolling, right? So I'm like ready to run through a brick wall. And then you got someone that, that knows I'm a pastor and wants to chat, so then we get in, and I'm trying to give him all the nonverbals, like, "Hey, bro, did, hey, just try to be like you, bro." Yeah, i am I like trying to walk away? You know, give him the hand point, giving him the, yeah, you know, like you, you try to give him all the nonverbals to let him know, I got to work out, you know. And then they just, you won't find. Well, anyway, you know, this guy we we were chatting, and he's like, "Yeah, man, I just don't know if I should marry my girlfriend." I'm like, "All right, man, cool, bro. Tell me, you know, tell me about it," and and he's. And he's a part of the, you know, he's a part of the church. He was in prayer and fasting, and um, he's like, I just don't know. And just from previous conversations we've had, I know he's living, like he's living with her. She lives in his house. He is sleeping with her. She has a child. He's literally become like the father of that child. And he's wondering. Should I marry this woman? And I'm like, and, and listen, I'm not judging no one, no one, right? But I'm 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 just saying, looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, feet like a duck. It's it's a duck. And it's it's like, dude, what do you need to hear from God? What do you need to hear from God? You're already living as if you're married. Make it right. Covenant. Commit. God doesn't date us. He's, we are not like a car he tries out and tests. Well, is John worth it? No, he commits to us, he covenants with us, he commits. And I say that not to bash him, but I'm saying that because I feel like he has been like willfully disobeying God's clear word for so long, he can't even discern what is easy. And all I'm saying, like y'all, y'all know Lifehouse, I ain't judging at all. We're a church for everybody. We want everybody to come to the, come to the table and learn about Jesus no matter where you're starting, starting from. We know change takes a long time. We say gospel, safe, safety time. We talked about safe. We are a safe church. You will be safe here. We're going to give you time. We understand a lot of things that Jesus asks of us are punches in our face, punches to our guts because we've been trained, and shaped, and formed, and marinated, and crock-potted in a culture that is so counter-Jesus, and so counter-Scripture, whenever we hear it, it's like we're hearing a different language, and we're like, the normal thing isn't to hook up, shack up, break up, rinse, repeat? (laughs) Oh my God, this is all new to me, (laughs) you know, like, but, but it's so, there is no judgment. But what I'm saying is, is, that, is that, y'all, we can willfully disobey for so long that we literally have a hardened heart and closed ears. And what I'm saying is nothing softens your heart like obedience, nothing, nothing softens your heart like obedience. Got another guy at the gym, he's, I call him the mayor of one life. It's like he goes and sniffs pre-workout before he comes to the gym. He's just like, what's up, man? You doing good? Like, I didn't know macho man Randy Savage just came, just, just came to the gym, you know? But anyway, he was just telling me, man, dude, you know what's changed my life? Tithing. I was like, wasn't expecting that. But just started to tell me how it's like it's loose the grips of mammon on his life. It's loose the grip of consumerism it's it's given god faith to move and faith to work and he's and he said you know how long it took me to take that step but he said when i took it even when i didn't understand it he said i literally felt a spiritual breakthrough in my life you know what he said i had to obey before i even understood and once i obeyed the understanding followed cuz y'all y'all want to understand before you obey y'all there you know what I, I i get it y'all y'all might need some revelation before you take hard hard steps i'm not saying that but many of you are waiting for something that you will find if you'll just step out and obey and do the right thing Amen. nothing softens our heart like repentance nothing softens our heart like obeying secondly we become nothing softens our heart like realizing and being aware that god is radically available some, some of y'all have put like God as a compartmentalized part of your faith or kind of as a compartmentalized part of your life. So you, you go to work and it's just you and work. <laughs> You're like, why do I have so much stress? Why do I have so much anxiety? Why can't, you know? Or it's like you come into your family and it's like God's over there. My family's over, over, over here. But, but what keeps our hearts soft is knowing that God is available. Let me say it this way. When you know that God is available, you will be more receptive to hear what he has to say. When you know that God is available, you will be more receptive to what he has to say. I believe one of the greatest hindrances to God's availability is the availability of everything else. You know, really, really honestly, what is one of the greatest hindrances of the awareness of the presence of God is the presence of our cell phone. And I know it's a blessing. I know it's good. I thank God that I can look up things. I thank God I can know where I'm going now. I thank God about all that, that stuff. Thank God I can look up dumb worthless sports facts that don't mean anything in light of eternity, but I just want to know who won the finals in 92, who was the MVP, all that stuff. I love that, but at the same time, if we're, not a, if we're not careful, our attention will always be taken away from the availability of God's availability, the availability of God's presence in every moment that will keep our hearts receptive to, to, to what God has to say to us. Protect your attention. <laughs> our culture is not set up for you to have your attention on God. One of, I want to read you a quote. A.J. Sherrill said this. He said, perhaps the great omission of being with God in prayer is, that, is what prevents the church from growing into the depths of God's heart for the world. Within a culture of external and, and internal noise, we must learn the rhythms and intimacy of contemplative prayer if we are to flourish. When asked to describe the, their, their prayer life, many people point only to the words they speak to God and the impressions they claim to feel from God. While these are a part of prayer, they only begin to scratch the surface of being with God. The truth is that every moment of every day, the most significant reality in the entire universe is the radical availability of God's presence. And I believe that, that, that some of you, you don't hear what God says because you're not aware that God's presence is there. And you've created on with this, this sacred-secular divide where when you're doing sacred things in church, you're praying, reading about that's when God's really there, that's when you can really hear him and you've taken this whole secular work, family, hobby, sports games part of your life and, and, and you've said, I'm gonna endure this so I can get to this instead of inviting God into this. That makes sense? Because here's the, here's, here's the thing, the whole Jesus and God and spirit can only be found in a certain place is gone. When Jesus came he, and he tore the veil, his availability became all day, every day what so says, Hebrews 4. It says, now that we know what we have, Jesus is great high priest with ready access to God. Let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing experience at all, but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what is so ready, what he's so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. That's what my heart, like, accept the help. Because here, here, here's what I taught a couple weeks back to help you have a, maybe a realization of God's presence with you, right? It's called triangulating in the spirit of God. And it's one of the ways we can keep our hearts soft because we know he's near and available to us. Is that many times we look at what we do, our jobs, whatever, kids, families, whatever, is, is kind of being us in the task, us in the job, us in the problem, us in the circumstance, instead of including God in that equation. We're saying it's not just me and the task, it's not just me and the job, it's not just me and the problem, me and the circumstance, it's actually me, the Spirit of God, and the problem. And so then there becomes a triangle, and that triangle is a way for you to develop an awareness of God's presence. I can't tell you how much this has helped me as a pastor, because when I try to help people, I can sometimes put the weight on myself. Well, i got to have the right... Verses to say I got to have the right words to say I got to have the right counseling techniques, got to have all of these things. And so many times I've been gripped by anxiety and pressure when in reality, as I've learned to put this into place, I say the Spirit of God is what this person needs. I just want to help the Spirit. This person doesn't need my words. This person needs the Spirit's words. And so now it takes the pressure off so I can be attentively listening to the Spirit of God instead of focusing on my problem. And as I attentively focus in on the Spirit of God, it gives me the wisdom and the insight to give to that person, because they could, and then they actually get God instead of me. How much would this like soften your heart if you knew of God's that radical availability? God's radical availability. I think this is one of the big reasons why, like, we let things distract us. I mean, how many of you? I mean, good Lord, right? You have been. Trying to read the Bible. And next thing you know, ping, a YouTube thing comes up. Ping. What's up, bro? Ping. Maybe what you need is, is a phone timeout. Like, if you're going to be with God, want to have a time, let the phone be in another room. And you're going to be able to do that for about three minutes, and then you're going to get antsy. But it's training, right? We're training, not trying, right? We're training to be like Jesus. We just aren't trying. Anyway, that will help you feel the presence of God. Okay, number three. What keeps our hearts soft is being reminded of God's Father heart for you. Even Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples how to pray, he started off with what? Our Father. I believe a lot of our, the receptivity of our heart is tied to our v- conscious or unconscious view of God. I saw this really, really good. It was, it was a picture. I'm not sure how they actually have it up here, but it said this. Religion says, I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. The gospel is, I messed up. I need to call my dad. And some of you, the reason why your heart is hard isn't because of sin. It's hard because of religion. And that keeps God's word from going inside is, is because when you mess up, what you do is, my dad's going to kill me. Instead of realizing you have a good father who loves you, who is for you, that you don't need to say, dad, I messed up. Or you don't say, dad, dad's going to kill me. You can call your dad and say, hey, dad, I'm messed up. Isn't that good? Because the hardness of heart, is just, just not your sin. It could also be religion. And also, too, good, good dads know when their kids are trying to get something. Right, Dwayne? You know how your kids get. A little nicer. Hey, Dad, you want me to do the dishwasher? That's how I would know this kid wants something. Right? But, but we can, like... Say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to play God because I'm going to get something that I want. I'm going to try to play this kind of tip for tat game with God. When, when you, you have, like, and, and really I think God can, can, can see through that. Even in the book of James, it talks about how, how James calls them out because he says, yeah, you pray for things, but you pray with selfish motives. Like, God can see those things. Like, God can see you're asking for blessing, not so you can be a blessing. You're asking for blessing so you can have status. You're asking for blessings so you can have security. And and so I I think we have to know that God has a father's heart for us. And if we understand that he has a father's heart for us, what what that makes us do then is we got to get down to the root, like really examine, like really like why you want to follow Jesus. Because I think if we're candid, some people come to Jesus because they want something from him. Some people want to be kind of have their consciences. You know, cleaned, but but really, Jesus is not. He's he'll he'll do those things, but ultimately, Jesus is wanting to change you into somebody completely new. And I love what C.S. Lewis says when he's he's talking about like Jesus wants to give us the full treatment. He says this: When I was a child, I often had a toothache. You can come up, uh, Christian. He says, When I was a child, I often had a toothache, and I knew that if I went. To my mother, she would give me something which would deaden the pain for that night and let me go to sleep. But I did not go to my mother, at least, not until the pain became very bad. And the reason I did not go was this. I did not doubt she would give me the aspirin, but I knew she would also do something else. I knew she would take me to to the dentist the next morning. You go to the next slide. go to the next slide because it's kind of like weird, weird there. I can't read it. That a no? Okay. Um, I I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists, I knew they started fiddling about with all sorts of other teeth which had not yet begun to ache. They would not let sleeping dogs lie. If you gave them an inch, they would take an L, which I don't know what that is, but this is old school British says, now if I may put it that way, our Lord is like the dentist. If you give him an inch, he'll take him, we're just, we're, just, we're, we're just gonna say mile. Okay, he will take a mile. Dozens of people go to him to be cured of one particular sin, which they are ashamed of. Like, I don't, I, I thought I took that out. Uh, like, <laughs> let's go ahead and take that out for second service. Uh, <laughs> okay, that's awkward. Okay. Uh, <laughs> masturbation or physical cowardice cowardice, or which is obviously well there goes the whole conclusion of the of the sermon okay or which is obviously spoiling daily life like of like a bad temper or drunkenness well he will cure it all right but he will not stop there that may be all you asked but once you call him in he will give you what the full treatment and you know what the full treatment to me is it's this is deep in you But we can't get to the full treatment part if we only want external. Just change my behavior, God. Just change the circumstance. Instead of viewing it as, Lord, I didn't come to you to get something from you. I came to get what you have for me and that's you want to change every bit, piece of me. So the way we keep our heart soft, y'all, is we understand God's heart and desire for us. He's not just out here trying to make our our life easy and comfortable in the United States dream. He's wanting to form and shape us to be like his son, Jesus, who when he was in the garden facing his Gethsemane, his response wasn't my will be done. His response, because he had the word rooted deep inside of him, it was the food he he chomped on, it was the food he chewed and digested and became rooted inside of him that when it became to a point where he didn't feel like it, what could come out of him was the response of thy will be done. And church, if, if, if we're gonna be people that follow Jesus, that become like Jesus through his word, we're gonna have to be people where the word is not just, ex- not just on the exterior, it is rooted deep inside of us as we practice a life of repentance as we practice a life of repentance, as we become aware of God's radical availability and because we know he's available, we're more receptive to what he has to say and then we're reminded of God's father's heart for you. Would you stand up with me, church? We are going to receive communion together to close out our time. And So if you need communion Communion elements. If you would just right now lift a hand, one of the, one of the ushers they'll get that to you. But we're going to do communion like we did last week. If you weren't here last week, we did it a little more contemplative. Where we we want to, to give you some time to say Because I, I don't know about you, I don't get a lot of say la moments in my life. I don't get a lot of say la moments to just be with God. And so I wanna actually read a few scriptures about communion, give you some questions, and then I'm gonna leave you to receive communion when you are ready, after you've processed, you've done some selah, some talking with God, doing some business with God, creating some space for him to be available, creating some space to say maybe there are some things you need to repent of, creating some space maybe for you to become aware of God's father heart for you. We're just gonna create some space here. We're gonna have prayer teams available as well, but let me just read you a few words that the Apostle Paul wrote to the, the church in Corinth about communion. He said this. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks for it. Then he spoke, or excuse me, then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthily manner is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine. Everyone say, Examine. Examine, examine is the time for us to look inside to say la and pause. We should examine ourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment on yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. And, and so, so y'all, I don't say that to scare you. I say that to say this is a sacred special time for us to be with Jesus today, to fellowship with him, to have him speak to us and challenge us and change us. And so here's here some questions I want you to actually ask as you're taking some time to examine. Do you need healing today, fellowship with Jesus? I just feel that some of you today, you need healing in your body. Ask Jesus. Do you need wisdom today? Fellowship with Jesus. Do you need freedom today? Fellowship with Jesus. Do you need to be forgiven? Fellowship with Jesus. Do you need to forgive someone today? Fellowship with Jesus. Maybe you need to be saved today. Maybe you've never said yes to following Jesus. Say yes to him today. He is strong and mighty to save. So before we sing a song, and I give you time to, Be with Jesus and Selah. Let me pray. Jesus, just pray right now for those who are here today. I pray that God, as they spend some time with you, would you bring revelation? Would you bring revelation to them? Just right now, with every about, every eye closed, maybe today you need to say yes to following Jesus. When I say, do you need to be saved? Do you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus? Maybe you've walked away. Maybe you've never done that but if that is you today, when I count to three, would you just would you just lift a hand? I wanna pray for you, but I wanna know who you are. If you wanna follow Jesus, you wanna become right with God because of what Jesus did for you on the cross in your place and for your sin, you wanna become right with God today. If that is you on the count of three, lift a hand, ready? One, two, three. Anyone here? Anyone here? Amen. I see that hand listen, y'all, this is what we're gonna, gonna do. We're gonna pray with, with the people that lifted their hands or the, or the people that possibly didn't. And we're just gonna take their hand and put it in Jesus' hand. So I'm just gonna ask if you would join and pray with me and let's pray with those who are saying yes to following Jesus today. Ready, pray this. Jesus, I give you all of me. I want the full treatment. I don't come to you trying to get something from you. I come to you to get all of you. So Jesus, I give you all my sin. And I receive all of you a new identity, new in Christ, healed, whole, loved. Jesus, thank you for new life today. Amen, amen. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.